Welcome to Love and Loss, a podcast where we talk about the difficulties surrounding pregnancy and infant loss. It's important to know that although we may sometimes host psychologists and other mental health professionals, this show is not a substitute for therapy and or psychological treatment. We encourage all individuals and families experiencing loss to only listen as you are able. The content of the show can occasionally become triggering to those who have lost a child during pregnancy or infancy. If the substance becomes too difficult, we encourage you to turn it off. Julia Brown is a dedicated wife, mama, and worker bee. In the summer of 2020, she suffered a miscarriage, which inspired her to author the children's picture book, Marshmallow's Gift Garden. Through this book, her child lives on, and she can provide support and comfort to other parents and siblings experiencing loss. Today, we welcome Julia Brown to the Love and Loss podcast. Welcome, Julia. Hey, thank you for having me. Glad you're here. And you guys are so blessed because Julia um, is going to be with us all month. So she is going to talk today about her experience with loss. And then in our next episode, she's going to share about a book she wrote. So um, buckle it or buckle up, not buckle in. That's silly, right? (laughs) Buckle (laughs) up because uh, you're about to be blessed. Julia, I'm sure you know, we start every episode by asking who is your mom's inspiration? I do know this. I knew that this was coming and I really had to pray on this actually, because it feels wrong to not say my mom, mm-hmm. but also I feel like if I'm being completely candid, my mom's inspiration is my cousin, Jessica, mm. and she's not with us any longer. She passed away about four years ago. Um, but from the time that her girls were real small, she knew she had cancer and it was pretty far progressed. And so I think she acted like every element of being a mother was the way that she wanted to do it. Like there was more, it was like easier for her to know this is exactly how I want to be. I want my girls to remember me and I don't have much time. Mm. And I think she was like, it was very liberating to watch her parent and be a mom to her girls because um, her girls have such strong self-esteem and they were able to handle all of the, um, all of the grief they ended up experiencing very well. And a lot of that I think is due to the encouragement of the mom and how um, she helped to empower them to make good choices, but to make independent choices. And so she is my mom's inspiration. Wow. I mean, I think that's our goal, right? Is to raise our children to be strong, independent people. I guess you just don't think you're going to have to do that so soon. Mm-hmm. So that's amazing. Wow. Cheers to Jessica. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Wow. Um, there's a lot of grief wrapped up in that for sure. I mean, for you and for her children. Um, and so we're just going to jump right into your story as well. So, um, do you want to start out by like telling us about your pregnancies? Yes. Okay. So let's talk about pregnancies. Um, I, my first pregnancy was in 2015 and it was a healthy, easy, normal pregnancy. Basically, I went to my OB at the time and he said, well, you're not getting any younger. You know, it's kind of like making a deposit at the bank before you can make a girl, you got to make some deposits. So he kind of framed it like, uh, get started because it doesn't happen overnight, which is true for so many people. And that is not at all our experience. So my husband and I, you know, tried one time (laughs) the night we moved into our house and we had this healthy pregnancy 
beautiful son who was born in 2015. Um, and we were we never really found the right time to get pregnant again. And then my son got so much older and like so easy, right? Like out of diapers, like into school, just, we were having a ton of fun together and then COVID started. Um, and so somehow I got pregnant during COVID. And I yeah. say some, cause it wasn't like we weren't trying. Um, and we were actually, we weren't the people that are like not, not trying either. We were like pretty actively not trying to get pregnant and I got pregnant anyway. And so that's our miscarriage. Our miscarriage is like this miracle because it shouldn't have, shouldn't, I'm using air quotes here. Nobody can see it. It shouldn't have happened in the first place. I got pregnant without, without, you know, that being the, and, um, so, so that was our miscarriage and I'll talk a little bit more about that through, uh, well, I'll talk a lot about that. I'm sure throughout this. Yeah. I'd love to hear more about that one. So you weren't trying, let's, let's dive into this one. Um, yeah, sure. so you weren't trying to get pregnant. Um, no. yeah, yeah. So I think that can happen to you. I think I heard a statistic, like 50% of pregnancies are actually unplanned. Um, and I don't know how accurate that is. I literally just heard mm-hmm. that like on the bus somewhere, you know what yes. I mean? Like, yes. <laughs> but, um, so you weren't trying to get pregnant. And then what happened when you found out? So honestly, I cried. Like I, I was, I cried. It was like, it was during COVID. Like I had no idea what to expect in the world. And we, you know, from an economic standpoint, like we're stable, we're, we're okay, but we weren't planning on having another child and all the like economic impact that comes with that. We don't have family nearby. So as far as support goes, like it's just kind of limited. Um, and we were happy as a family of three. So, so my initial response was like, kind of fear. It was a lot mm. of fear initially. Um, and my husband too, but then we got on board and we got really excited and I found out super early. Like I took a pregnancy test two days after my period, I think. Oh yeah. Um, and, and I only really even did it because I was feeling like abnormal and my mother-in-law was over and she was like, do you want a glass of wine? And I was like, yes, pour that wine. But by the way, like I'm going to run to the bathroom quick. Um, and then I came back and I was like, Hey, actually, I don't feel like drinking wine anymore. <laughs> so yeah. Oh my God. Yes. So, so did literally you tell her right is, away? No, no. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I had been told forever, like, don't tell anyone until you're 12 weeks, because if yeah. something goes wrong, you don't want them to hear in your brief. And I think yeah. that's a bunch of malarkey. Uh, to say the least. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know how that got started. Um, somebody said basically what they mean is don't tell anyone because that way you can grieve alone. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I mean, like that way you can suffer with no support. Like it's crazy. People need people. Yes, it's yeah. Oh, crazy. Um, well, that's a whole nother can of worms that I'm <laughs> willing to go down, but yeah. So you didn't tell her, you didn't take the wine. Then what happened? No, so then we got really excited. So, yeah. so I had one, like how and delivery, zero complications. I researched like what OB would be the right fit for me this time around because we had moved. And so our last OB was not nearby and we didn't have like a super great delivery experience, nothing, no complications that were severe, but I wanted something new and I wanted someone I could really deeply connect with. Mm-hmm. And I had a doctor who was phenomenal, but her recommendation was, Hey, come in around 10 weeks with everything that's going on in the world. And you know, the fact that you've had a healthy pregnancy in the past, like just come in around 10 weeks. So that left me 
five, about five weeks to get really excited about the pregnancy. Yeah. That's a month. That's a long time. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's a long time. And, um, for some we, reason, when we say m- weeks, like, Oh, mm-hmm. five weeks, six weeks, it doesn't sound like a long time. It's a long freaking time. It's, it's a, a long very time. long time when you are carrying a child. Oh yes. I mean, and this pregnancy was like first trimester textbook, you know, um, morning sickness, nausea, like unable to, unable to eat, like heavy mood swings, breast tenderness, like all of the symptoms, like plus, you know what I mean? Like it just, everything was, everything was really ramped up. So it was like this little baby inside of me was, was impacting the way that I felt physically and emotionally. So like, that's one of the like mess about miscarriage that I really dislike. It's like, Oh, if it happens early, it's not really like anything really happened at all. Like now there's a lot happened during that time that I feel me and that baby went through together. Like mm-hmm. we did together. If it were not for that child, those, those experiences have occurred. Yeah, you're right. That's a good way of putting it. You know? Yeah. So, um, so I go to my appointment and again, this is like right around when I would have been 10 weeks and my husband's in the car because we can't have visitors in that time. Like this is last July of 2020. So no visitors were allowed in. So, um, I go to that appointment. I do initial intake with the doctor who is fabulous by the way. And, uh, that's about 20 minutes. Then we do the ultrasound and she's having trouble finding the heartbeat, um, tries to put like a color scale on the ultrasound and it's gray. And we start to figure out that there's been a loss. Oh God. Um, this, I mean, this brings back all the feels for me because I had almost the exact same experience the main difference being my spouse was in the room, right? So you're experiencing this and your husband's in the car. He's in the car and we're FaceTime. So I'm oh. like holding the face, like holding the phone. So the video is projecting onto a big monitor where she's like, well, and I, I think what happened if I'm looking back is she was trying to really know for sure that mm. there was, the baby had died before she said anything because it was like, I'm going to take the measurements and let's see where you ovulated from. And, and I was like piecing together what was happening. And it was so surreal that I'm like, I, I just, my husband's in the car. I'm like, does he get where what's about to happen? Does he understand where this is leading Mm. and process it, you know? So what was going through your head when this happened? Like, how are you, how are you feeling in your soul? Um, You know, I think in the moment I felt a lot of like shame and guilt, shame and oh. guilt. Say more to that. Yeah. Well, my initial reaction to the pregnancy was like, I cried, like I wasn't like elated. And I felt as though like I somehow I must have done this was oh. my, Oh, somehow this must be like, this is a gift that was given to me and I didn't react appropriately. And so now this is the outcome. Oh, um, that's how it felt in the moment. Well, isn't it crazy how our brains tr- play tricks on us? As much mm-hmm. as you know, that is crazy and it's not true. You're br- it's crazy what happens. Yes. Oh gosh. Oh, that must've been so painful to feel that way. Yeah, oh, it was. Jeez. Um, yeah, to feel that guilt and, and shame. That makes so much more sense when you say those words now. Mm-hmm. Oh, Oh, that, that breaks my heart. So, and then your husband is on FaceTime and 
did, was he able to hear what was happening? I think so. I, it got to a point like before she, you know, said what, where we were, where things stood or like what the next step should be. It got to a point where I said, Hey hon, like, I'll call you back. Mm. And he, okay. So we hopped off the phone. Did he know? You know what? It was, it wasn't until like, it wasn't until much, much later, like over a year later that he finally told me that he understood what was happening because oh. when he called me back later, it was like, Hey, like, is everything okay? Like, because he thought I would be coming back to the car sooner, but I had to do blood work and all these things. Yep. And, and so he was like, Hey, is everything okay? Like he wasn't like, Hey, I know what just happened or like, what mm. do we need? To do next? So I, I took that to mean that he didn't understand. Yeah. Um, but recently he took like, within the last month, he told me like, oh, I, I knew what was happening. I was like, oh. mm-hmm. yeah. Did he want you to be like free to experience it or? I think so. Yeah. I think so. he's incredibly supportive. So I knew, I knew before without even his, like, without him being a part of the conversation that however I wanted to proceed, whether it was like the DNC or like um, taking medication or waiting to miscarry naturally, like he would have been on board. So yeah. I went ahead made that decision independently, knowing yeah. that he's on board. Um, I'm glad you have a supportive spouse. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He's, he's really, yeah. He was super supportive and, um, you know, like wrapped me in his arms and took me right to the pharmacy. And um, the first like day or two days, we were really emotionally connected through that. So you went to the pharmacy. Um, what did you, what, what choice did you make? Um, so uh, I know that there are so many women that will remember what medicine that they were given to prompt, mm-hmm. but I don't remember what it was called. Um, but it was something to prompt the miscarriage to happen at home. And so I wanted to take that right away. I just, mm. again, like the guilt and the shame, I just wanted as bad as it sounds, I wanted to be done with it. Yeah, no, I, that's completely normal. I, I say it's normal. I felt the same way when it happened to me. Um, yeah, I actually needed a DNC and, but I remember saying like, okay, can you do that now? Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh no, honey, it has to be at the hospital. And, um, and I was like, okay, can you do it tomorrow? I mean, and she couldn't, but I, yeah, I think I, I understand why yes. you want it to be over because our bodies naturally don't want to experience pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to avoid that. And so of course you wanted it done. Well, and that's interesting too, that you, you bring up that you had to have that DNC and schedule it out, or at least be transferred because that was like her recommendation for me. And to me, first of all, probably because of the guilt and the shame, I didn't want other people to be involved. Like if oh. I could, um, and then my second thing was just due to the timing, I didn't want to go to the hospital and I didn't want my son to know that I, mom was going to the hospital for like an outpatient procedure or anything. Mm-hmm. I was still like in that mindset of, I'm not, nobody's supposed to know, you know, I was still in that mindset of like, okay, this is what, this is what we were preparing for. We were preparing for this to happen and not have anyone know. So I was still in that cycle. I think, um, until you experience what you've experienced though, that's, that's what you believe. I did the same thing. I even thought, I even thought like, I'm going to be, <laughs> this is so silly when I say it out loud. I thought I'm going to be one of those cool moms who like never announces their pregnancy. on social media. <laughs> like, 
and just like has a baby. Yeah. Like how does that make me cooler than anyone else? <laughs> it's so silly. Oh my God. When I say it out loud. Um, that's, that's why your podcast is so important, right? Yeah. So that, so that women can at least like, it's almost like you're initiated into this secret society of women Amen. that are powerful and strong, but you don't really understand that the resources are available to you until it happens to you. Unfortunately, that's true. It's, it's like not, um, we're not commonplace yet or mainstream. Right. 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 Okay. So you went straight to the pharmacy and you got medication. Mm -hmm. Do you want to walk me through what happened when you got home? Yeah. So this is where I started to like isolate myself a little bit, which probably isn't healthy. So if you're experiencing this or having to make decisions, like if you, you know, maybe good for you to consider keeping your spouse involved or your support person involved. Um, but at that point I just wanted to be on my own. Mm. I took the medication. I went to the bathroom and locked myself in with my computer and I kept working. And I basically told my husband, like when it's time to pick our son up from school, like, can you just please stay with him until I'm ready to come out of the bathroom? Mm -hmm. And, um, it was a lot of like filling the tub up and letting the tub drain, um, for the next couple hours. And I was lucky because a lot of women it, like will describe this as like a, one of the most painful experiences of their lives. And I think I was just too numb to feel any pain. It really wasn't for me. So you said you were filling the tub up, tub up and letting the tub drain. Was that from the baby? Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, and so it took a few hours for the baby to come out. Yeah. I, I think so. I mean, I miscarried around nine and a half weeks. Yeah. Like they think the baby stopped growing. So I, and like from everything I've seen and read on like different forums and discussion boards, like some women can identify at that point, at that stage, they can clearly identify, you know, as things are happening, exactly what's happening. And for right. me, I, I wanted to make sure that everything was done. And emotionally, like I, I basically like locked myself away until I yeah. felt I was strong enough to come out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I think, um, that's, that's another coping mechanism. I think we all handle it differently. Um, but there is some kind of, if, if you were experiencing this shame mm -hmm. and these feelings mm -hmm. and that's almost can be embarrassing, maybe, I don't know. And you're like, yeah, well, let me just piece it back together. Yes. Almost like, yes. almost like, um, I'll tell people what happened when I fix it. I'll, yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think part of it too was like, this is, this is gonna, maybe you'll be able to relate to this, but I, I sort of wanted to protect the only moments I would ever have with my child. Even if my child was already gone, I felt like I couldn't protect you before this. And so maybe this is my way of protecting you now or honoring you in this moment was to have it just be ours. That is such a mom thing. That is, oh my gosh, I'm welling up with tears, y'all. That is such <laughs> a mom thing to do, um, to just have something to do with you guys. Um, you expect all the, you prepare for all these things. It doesn't matter how you reacted when you found out you were pregnant. When you're pregnant, you prepare things. You know, mm -hmm. like what, how am I going to decorate the nursery? I had already decided the theme for my, my kid's first birthday party. I did. And, um, yeah. So you want to have those experiences with your kid 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it shouldn't be in the bathroom. That's yeah. not fair to you. It's not fair to you at all. Um, so following that day, what happened the next day? Um, so the next day, like I'm trying to think here. The next day was a Friday and I went to work. You went to work. I went to work while I was working. So like I worked, um, but it was a Friday and I, I started like, I tried so hard to keep my grief to share it with my husband, but keep it from my son. And it's mm. so hard when you have a toddler and you're just destroyed inside. Like you're just- How old was he? He was four, four. going on five. So it was hard to keep it from him. And we started like actually the same night. The only reason I left the bathroom that night was to tell my son a bedtime story. We had like this ritual of like, I would start a story and then he would fill in the gaps and we would go through it and we would make up a story. So that was the only reason I left the bathroom that night. And then the next day, like, you know, it was now leading into the weekend. And I knew that if I could just get through the work day, get through bedtime, I could be on my own. And I felt, I definitely fell into a depression. And I don't know if it was postpartum depression at that point, or if it was depression over the circumstance, um, a really hard time getting out of bed for a while. It could be either or both. And yeah. Oh man, that, that, um, that emotional breakdown and that depression is so deep and there's nothing like it. There's, I've, I've never experienced something so severe. I don't know about you. Yeah. I think for me, I kept like, I kept asking myself again, like then after, so after the first day, the question became, where did you go? Like, where did you go? And, and if, if you're in heaven, what do you look like? When I see you, will I recognize you? Will you know me? Like, so that's where, my mindset started to shift into and like the idea that no one will know you ever even existed, like was just full. So I did end up sharing with my mom and my mother-in-law, um, you know, what had happened and, and one of my dear girlfriends like knew as well at that point. Yeah. So, um, and, and had you told them before that you were waiting until 12 weeks or did you tell them when you lost the baby? Um, so we did, we told them when we lost the baby, um, okay. like, Hey, heads up, we were pregnant. Ooh, now we're not, which is, which is kind of rough for them. Right. Like they're for a moment, like a snap moment. They're like another grandchild and then taken away. And snatching away. So I have a very good friend of mine and her sister lost two babies to miscarriage. And she said when the first baby died, she found a all in the same moment that she was an aunt and not an aunt at the same time. And this isn't directly her. This is her sister that lost these children. And she had such a hard time because it's like a whiplash of emotion, right? Because Mm -hmm. you followed, you followed the rules, right? These are our social norms. You don't tell anyone. And Mm -hmm. then when you deconstruct this, you're like, wait, why, why did I do that? What was I thinking? Right. Cause like, who do you need? You need your mom. Like, Oh, I know. <laughs> like, how do you, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it made it so much harder. This idea that I needed to hide it. Yeah. And I, um, I will say my best friend told me, I mean, I, her girls are my godchildren, but I, she said, um, 
I told people that I was going to tell anyways, if I lost the baby. So mm-hmm. she told us very early, which I thought that was a very good way to do it. Like if I lose the baby, I'm going to tell these people anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess you don't really know that maybe. Right. And right. I didn't know that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So did you name this baby? You know, no, I always, I sort of, sort of, I always loved the name Anna for a girl. So when I was pregnant with my son, we said, if it's a boy, it's Abraham. And if it's a girl, it's Anna. And that was like what the plan was. So then when I got pregnant this time, my pregnancy was so much harder. Like, like I had mentioned earlier, you know, in the conversation, like heavy mood swings, like not feeling well, the nausea, everything. So I was like, this is definitely a girl. This feels like a girl because you don't feel like your brother. So I would say like, that would be, if, if I were to assign a name to this baby, it would be Anna. Anna. Yeah. Um, I feel very, the listeners know this. I feel very strongly that mothers know. Um, mm-hmm. I feel very strongly about that. And I didn't assign a gender to my baby, but I do feel like it was a boy. I, I don't know if I've said that out loud on the podcast, but I feel like I lost a boy. And my sister was like, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> She's like, yeah, it was a boy. I knew that. You didn't know that. <laughs> That's um, amazing. I know. Isn't that great? Oh, well, um, did she, was that like just an, a gut instinct for her or was yeah. there some? Okay. Isn't that weird? Yes. <laughs> I know. I know. So I do think, I'm not saying the ants know, but apparently my sister did. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. So is it okay if we refer to your baby as Anna? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, so Anna was the second child and mm-hmm. has, has there been another sibling added? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. So pregnancy number three, we go back to like this mental philosophy of like, okay, you have to make deposits, you know, um, before you can make withdrawals. And I, I was thinking at this time, like sort of the blessing of Anna was that we didn't know we wanted a second child. Like we didn't know we were incomplete until the idea like until she became a reality for us. Oh yeah. After that experience, my husband and I were both like, you know what? We do want a second child in our life. And, um, so again, apparently I'm super fertile, like very blessed, very fortunate. Um, I had one regular period after my miscarriage and then I got pregnant with Teddy, um, who is now like four months old. So four months. Yeah. So you guys, um, Julia is amazing. She is recording this podcast with a four month old. I am in awe of you. <laughs> those <laughs> are whew, those early, like leap brain leaps and everything are so hard. So you're a super mom. Um, so let's talk more about Anna. How did you mm-hmm. channel your grief? You said that you kind of hid in your room and, um, you went into a depression. Is that, yeah. What did you do to work through that yeah. grief? Yeah, I think, um, so I recognized that I not like needed to pull myself out of it. Like I didn't need to fully process it, but I recognized that I was not processing it by just laying in bed, thinking about it and obsessing over it. Like that wasn't actually processing for me because I was like very much in like a circular motion of like my, my thought process or my thought patterns were not evolving. I was just ruminating on my sadness without anything else. Um, and I got to a point where like my son needed to understand that I wasn't sad. Like my sadness wasn't his fault. Like he started to, he started to pick up on my sadness and he started to act a little differently himself. 
um, because our relationship changed a little bit, like in the activities that I wanted to participate with him in on a day-to-day started to, to change, you know? And so I looped him in, like I didn't really explain, but earlier in the year I had, um, my very closest friend had a stillborn at 35 weeks. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I remember we were driving to her house and I remember this was January, um, of the same year. And this happened to me in July. So in January, I remember driving my son to her house and saying, Hey, aunt Kay doesn't have the baby anymore. And he was like, well, why? And he's like, well, sometimes when mommies have babies in their bellies, they get to keep them. And sometimes they don't. And at the time, like I didn't have a better explanation than that. And so I think that's, I can't think of a better explanation. I mean, cause it, well, it is, it is the reality. Right. And I just don't think we say that enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes they get to keep them and sometimes they don't. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. You could continue. That's a, that's a very good way to say that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was something like where she was so far along that like we, you know, he'd seen, he'd seen her very pregnant and yeah. never saw me as pregnant because it didn't progress that far. So you know, I let him know like, Hey, like, you know, what happened to Aunt Kay? Something similar happened to mommy where we had a baby, I had a baby in my belly and now I don't. Um, and that's why I'm sad. Like that is really making me sad. And so, um, to channel, like how I channeled my grief was letting him be a part of it. And in a way that wasn't traumatic to him, like I wanted for him to have an opportunity as a little person, as a tiny human to be empathetic to me without, without traumatizing him. And I think he, he sat in my lap and he hugged me and he said, I'm sorry, mommy. And, um, anyway, so, so letting him in on it was important to me and my processing. And then, um, our like little bedtime story that we shared started to become about understanding and processing the grief of the miscarriage. So it sounds like he was also kind of processing as a sibling, Mm -hmm. um, like, after the fact, just like, I mean, in a similar way to your family having to process like, oh, we were going to have this baby and now we're not all in the same moment, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it sounds like your son was doing the same thing. Yeah. 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 I kind of, it sounds like you were also processing your grief and channeling your grief by kind of talking it out with your son, because it kind of makes you explain things in a more concrete way. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know, did that help you synthesize your thoughts and emotions? It did yeah. because I wanted to be so careful about how I explained it to him, knowing that at four, he takes everything so literally that whatever mm-hmm. he's going, this might be like a light bulb memory for him where he remembers that long-term. And it's important that I try to explain it in a way that he can then take and process and work through and it's healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're very careful with choosing your words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you honor baby Anna? So we, this will be like, of course, the topic of our next um, podcast, but we have, I, I wrote a book, which was based on the bedtime story that my son and I created together. Um, so I wrote a book and the process of like drafting characters and coming up with the look of the character, the personality traits of the character, it, I channeled who I thought she would be. Um, and so I've got this book and it's called Marshmallow's Gift Garden. And it's about, um, it's, it's really a hopeful story for moms and for siblings and dads too, who are experiencing 
the loss of a child, the loss of, you know, in grieving that miscarriage or stillborn experience. And um, one of the things that's really cool, and we'll talk more about it, is that um, I've donated that book to social work agencies who can use it um, with moms and siblings in real time going through this. Oh my God. So you guys, she's going to, in our next episode, she's going to dive into this book and more about the details of it. And so um, I hope that hooks you because I will say that I was just talking to a very good friend of mine who also lost her middle child, interestingly, um, at around the same age as Anna. And uh, I was saying that, oh, I just talked to this girl who wrote a book, a children's book. And she's like, that's genius. And she already bought it for a friend who just experienced a loss. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. She was like, that's perfect. We need more of this. And so, um, all of you listening, like stay tuned because Julia is going to explain a lot more about the book in the next episode. Mm -hmm. Um, so talk to me about faith. How did faith play a role in your grief? So, um, I'm a runner and I spent a lot of time after I, after I got beyond the point I spent a lot of time running, listening to, listening to music, running and thinking about this idea of like, where did she go and, and how will she be with me? And I have um, a really close friend of mine and we run a lot together and she's Christian and she is a faith leader in our community. And she was so helpful to me and the way that she, just like her, her strong belief that it doesn't really matter how we reconnect, but that she's being watched over and provided and possibly watching over us. Um, it was just, it was really helpful to me. Um, I have like, from a faith perspective, I have a home group um, that I meet with on Wednesdays and it's co-ed, like it's men and women. And I shared what I was experiencing with my home group and the support I received there was just incredible incredibly helpful on my journey to process everything. And, um, beyond that, I think like from a faith perspective, I've always thought, and it probably started with my cousin, Jessica passing, like the best way to honor someone's memory is to try to spread the word on who they were when they were here and model the behaviors that they had that you most admired as best you can. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I don't have any behaviors for Anna, but I do have the, I, the book is how I'm honoring her memory and coming and speaking with you and trying to help advocate, advocate to other women or with other women that, you know, it's okay to have big emotions and a lot of grief around your experiences. You don't have to make yourself smaller or your experience smaller to make other people more comfortable. Yeah. It sounds like, so I honestly, there's so many parallels in our stories. I have not written a book yet. I hope to, <laughs> um, yes. we talked to Julia and I already talked about like, okay, how am I going to do this? Who do I contact? I'm letting me write down the details, but, um, but, uh, I had a similar experience telling my, um, my, uh, small group about our loss and the support of the church communities, what held me kind of mm -hmm. through that maybe you had a, a similar experience um, mm -hmm. of people who were just willing to listen and to treat it like a true death that it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and also, I don't know if this is true for you as well, but to give me an idea how they thought that my child would, 
would be like where they thought my child would be and how they thought my child, you know, um, would be and to, to care enough to pray for my child. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like the prayer part was very meaningful. Yeah. I liked when you're talking about your running friend too, kind of, um, piecing together, like, where are you? What are you doing? Will I say, you know, like, because we have all these analogies we use, like this child is in heaven or this child is an angel or whatever. And what does that mean? Like, you know, I'm a person of faith too. And it's like, we're still piecing together all these things because it's called faith because we don't know, (laughs) you know, we're learning as we go. Yeah. And I don't like, I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole, like terrible thought process that I had, but it was like, at this point you didn't have like, like, are you going to have, what color would your eyes be? What color would your hair be? Like, is it even possible? Like you haven't progressed that far. So like, what does this look like? Are you like a shadow? Like who, you know, just like all of these questions of how could you ever, how could you ever be more, anything more than what you were when you left? Like you didn't have any experiences. So you're like a total blank slate. How could you be in heaven? Like, who could you be in heaven? How could you be in heaven? Yeah. You haven't had any like personal experiences to impact you. And I haven't had an opportunity. And my husband husband hasn't had an opportunity and your brother hasn't had an opportunity to help mold you Mm -hmm. at all. And that, that, that felt very heavy in the moment. Oh, it definitely is heavy. Yeah. That's, that's very difficult stuff. That's very difficult. Um, thank you so much for sharing baby Anna with us and your, uh, your truthfulness and your honesty about like the not knowing and the discovery. I think that vulnerability is really helpful. I know for me, and I'm sure it's helpful for other listeners as well. Um, I don't want to sign off without asking, (laughs) is there a generic or cliche phrase that really bugs you? Yes. I'm going to pick one that applies to my situation because I was trying to think of, they're all annoying. So I was trying to think of one that maybe hasn't been said or hasn't been said often on this podcast, but, um, it would be, well, you weren't even trying. Oh gosh. Yeah. Well, you weren't even trying. Would people said that to you? Yes. No. Yes. Oh my God. That is so terrible. I haven't heard that one before. That is so terrible. And honestly, it's even more terrible because you already have those feelings yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And I think it, it came from like, I think it came from frustration from several individuals who like either themselves or someone that they knew had been trying for a long time and struggling and having like, you know, being on their infertility journey and trying different things. But it was like, very hurtful. It was very hurtful. And I, it kind of knocks you sideways where you're like, whew, what do you even say? How do you even respond to that? So I, I'm honestly like my jaw is on the floor. I don't even, I don't know. I don't know why that matters if you were trying or not. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Wow. I am so glad you share that one because that is, that is a new a new level of terrible. Um, thank you again for joining us, Julia. And if I haven't said it enough, stay tuned because on, um, on our next episode, Julia is going to talk more about the book. She's going to share parts of the book. And, um, also I'm going to go ahead and hook you. If you pay attention to our social media, she's going to be giving away an, uh, 
a copy of the book. So um, thank you again, Julia. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me, Joy. This has been another episode of the Love and Loss Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. As always, be sure to rate us on Apple and Spotify.